welcome to Black Fashion History, the podcast that celebrates the contributions of Black people to the fashion industry. It's Black History, but make it fashion. And I'm your host, Taniqua Martin. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Black Fashion History. I know if y'all are faithful listeners, you guys think I'm crazy right now because I've been gone for weeks and then boom, here I pop up at dang near the end of Black History Month, which is supposed to be our Christmas with an episode. So I'm so sorry about that, y'all. I just had a lot going on. I've been moving, but I have been keeping up to date on our Instagram page. So if you are not following, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Black Fashion History Podcast. There you'll see that I have been doing talks this month. I did a guest lecture. I did an Instagram live with a black own brand and I've been sharing a lot about black fashion history during the month of February. So I've been keeping busy even though I haven't been on the podcast. So make sure you're following us on Instagram. I'm always up to date on Instagram sharing what's going on and sharing black fashion history facts. So if you miss me on the podcast, follow on Instagram and you won't miss me. But today I am back on track and we are gathered here to celebrate another black fashion history legend. I am so excited when I get the opportunity to sit down with people and interview them and have them share their story from their own mouths and their own perspective. And this week is another one of those. Today, you are going to hear the conversation that I had with Miss Cassandra Broomfield. Cassandra Brumfield is a notable fashion designer with decades, I mean decades of experience in the industry. She graduated from the Fashion Institute of Technology in the early 1990s and she graduated cum laude with an associate degree in fashion design. Her first job in the industry was an assistant designer for a dress company and then she moved to production pattern maker for two lingerie companies before striking out on her own and starting her own company. She also, while working for herself, freelanced for many years with Audrey Smaltz, who is another black fashion history legend, and the ground crew. And they are the company that did backstage management for fashion shows, which included 7th on 6th, Fashion Week, MTV, photo fashion shoots, and more. When she started her company, she focused mostly on custom designing wedding gowns and special order dresses. Her dresses have been featured on red carpets at the Oscars, and one of her garments has been exhibited at the Museum of the City of New York. So I cannot wait for you all to get into her story. All right. I always like to start off with just finding out about, you know, where my guests are from and then what or who by you to pursue a career in fashion? Well, I am, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I've been here in Williamsburg for a long time. I am a family from a family that always sewed. So we always had a sewing machine. We were always making things. Every Everyone, uh, my aunt sewed, my mother sewed, but it was just a regular thing that that we did pursuing a career in fashion that that came much later i had already gotten a bachelor's and then decided to go back to uh school to go to fit to get an associate in fashion design 
And, uh, that, I guess that would be, mm, the early 80s that I thought about it as a career. So what made you make the shift? You said that you got ambassador's first and then later on you went back to school to get your associates in fashion. What happened between your bachelor's and your associates that made you go, let me try this it, fashion thing? It, it wasn't too long, you know, I, it, it wasn't too much of a break. I, I was working. I worked at Macy's and retail. It, it just wasn't that much of a, a, a break in between the two. But I had uh, my – I was going for a degree in um, commercial art, and I really did like – I still do advertising and, you know, things like Canva make, makes everybody – a commercial artist, but <laughs> at the time, you used to have to cut things out. You had to letterpress. You know, it was it was a lot more complicated than it is now because all of it was done by hand. Uh, I did. I liked that a lot. It was interesting, and I didn't pursue a career in it. I think that I got sidetracked because it was nerve wracking to create a portfolio that was appropriate enough for you to go into the advertising community. I really think I just got scared or, or whatever. So I never really participated in going for it, but I always, always enjoyed sewing and uh, creating. And that, that was just something I always did. It, it you know, going to school, I made it for, if I was going to a party, I made some pants or, you know, those were things that I just did. So it it was always something, creating was something I really enjoyed doing. Okay. So instead of, you know, creating an advertising world, you know, you moved to kind of pursuing your sewing and creating in the fashion world. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. When you started out, how difficult was it for you to establish yourself as a designer? I know you started, well, I don't know if you started this, but I know you work as an assistant designer and a pattern maker. So how easy or difficult was it for you to kind of start establishing yourself as your own entity? Well, I think that it might have been, I don't know if I would say it was, was difficult. I think that what I did, was not use the right language because what a designer looked like to me didn't look like me. That had nothing to do with being black. Uh, uh, let me mm-hmm. just um, make that clear. Although there were few black designers, but at the time uh, there were there were it was a few more than before. Let's let's put it that way. I had enough to look up to to want to be that. However. I was this girl from Brooklyn sewing and making clothes, and a designer didn't look like that. A designer looked like, you know, maybe it was like the movie version of a of a designer, and I I didn't I didn't have all of that panache and all of that kind of stuff, you know. Um, so I used to say, I'm trying to be a designer. And I remember my boyfriend said, you need to stop saying that. Just like you're a designer, just like a person who's writing a book, they're a writer. You know, if you 
are an accountant, could you add numbers? You know, you know, you're an accountant. So I had to get straight and stop using language that disqualified me. And I am a designer. Now, I, I did a lot of things that, uh, work, like working in the industry and stuff like that. So you, you know, you hone up on your pattern making skills and fitting skills and all of those things were really good, but designing, creating from the ground up, taking a piece of fabric and turning that into something that is in your head, uh, that, that was exciting. That was, that was, uh, that was something that I felt really good and excited about, you know, especially I used to make more stuff for myself than, than anything, but I, you know, and I wasn't one of these designers that had kabooboo kind of clothing, you know, where it was, uh, so colorful and so unusual, but it had these sparks of, of, um, they had these qualities. I remember I had a pair of pants, a denim pair of pants I made. It was actually chambray. Cause it was all, when I think back about it, the fabric was really light. And I embroidered and beaded on the side of the leg, uh, a tree with like little cherries. The beads were, were like red and it, it looked like cherries. And I'm telling you at that time, little old ladies would stop me. Man, that is really something, you know. <laughs> And then, and then there was a jacket I made out of felt that, and it wasn't the greatest felt, uh, like, like, you know, a wool felt, but it was felt. And I made this little jacket, I embroidered the jacket with the flowers, like tulips or something, and then it, it, it was really something. I, I don't know what happened to that jacket. I either gave it away, and, and I, I don't know because sometimes I didn't value you know, what I did. I liked it. I thought it, it was really a cool jacket. And it's those type of um, art that you put into clothing. So you can take simple designs, simple shapes, and then it explodes with the fabric and the fibers and the things you do to it that make it really special. And I like that for every day. Uh, and, you know, I, I had, I had a, a, a love for these handmade things that people did. So what they do in couture is it's just so beautiful. But that's, you know, that's not a lifestyle that, you know, you live fabrics that are three and four hundred dollars a yard and you make an everyday shirt out of it. You know, that's that's just not a lifestyle. So putting that, some of that work, I don't know handmade clothing, but Putting some of that work, embroidery, painting, and all of that stuff in, say, a, a cotton shirt or a T-shirt and things like that, um, I think, you know, it gives every, people an odd opportunity to be uh, elegant, you know, even if it's just every day. Because when you think about it, back in the day, um, women, when they went to the store, they wore, you know, a little dress hat maybe maybe they even had gloves i you know but i look at my the pictures of my mother and family and other people's family women wore dresses and you know they they, that was every day so and sometimes had the crinoline underneath that was a lot to wear 
But we, you know, and you have people who are devoted to that vintage uh, lifestyle look. But uh, for the most part, you know, we're just getting through our days, and sometimes fashion isn't something we're thinking about. Right. So I want to backtrack a little bit. You touched on it a little bit, how your style was a little bit different. How would you describe your style back when you first started designing? Oh, I don't know if I had any style back when I started because I would make patterns. I would use whatever the patterns were, and I would um, I would make it. I don't know if the audience will remember the uh, Cosby show when Theo made a shirt. At, no, not oh, Theo made a shirt. Denise made the shirt. <laughs> and the hilarious thing about it was was that I I used to always ask my mother, does it look made? You know, because I wanted it to look like it came from a store. And mm-hmm. she she would say, you know, because I, when I look back on the, the the stitching and the you know the experience of sewing, because some stuff I made really well. But, you know, some stuff was hard, some bold patterns, which I liked a lot because they were so stylish. Um, they weren't easy kind of patterns. And, you know, I would, I would struggle and get through it. But my memory of it is that everything looked like that shirt Theo had. And it didn't, but it, it just, I think how far I, I had come, you know, to uh, make things a lot better. My style was whatever the pattern was that I liked. And then when I got to FIT, that's when I began to really veer away from commercial patterns and be able to make my own patterns, you know, your drape and all of that stuff. And uh I I still think I I just still loved the application of simple silhouette and then doing something to the the fabric, whether it's embroidery, patchwork, but just adding these uh, elements to it that, you know, make it pizzazz, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. So I definitely think that I have a a varied style. It, It sort of comes from that vintage look when you're looking at old movies, and sometimes it's not exactly like that, but you know, I may like how, you know, a blouse tied in a movie with Joan Crawford or somebody and or I'll I'll focus on the way some lace patterns are and, you know, kinda throw it all together and let's see what happens. <laughs> and but still cutting out a simple shape. Because w- sometimes when you mess around with so many things going on on the dress, and then the fabric has so many things going on. You, you know, both are fighting each other, and the design, it gets lost. So I, I think it varies. I, I, I don't know if I could zero in on, like, I have this style. Sometimes I'll let other people say what it is. But I definitely enjoy patchwork. I, I really enjoy that. I want to touch a little bit on, I guess, your, you striking out on your own and starting your own company. So you mentioned that you, you know, you went to FIT, graduated, 
was it immediately after you graduated that you decided that you're going to start your own company or did it take some time and a little bit convincing for you to get there? Oh, <laughs> no. After I graduated, the thing to do is go look for a job. And <laughs> at that time, you look for an assistant designing job or jobs like that. And I had an assistant. I think my first job was with this company called Ashbro. And I was an assistant designer, but basically it, it comprised of me making the first sample and then that first sample goes to the market with the buyer. Um, I was let go from that, that job and I went back out to look for a job and I got a pattern making job and that one was in the production area, the production pattern making and it, it, was very good because it really honed the skills of being a pattern, getting the fit right. They had a design department, and then when that went to market, then the it would come back, and then we'd have to improve the pattern so that when it got into production, we'd have to, you know, make it right for a production pattern. And that was really a very good learning process. That another job, I had it for years, but then they had some cutbacks and they let me go. Whether that was a story, we just want to out, I don't know. But they, they, uh, closed that company, I think, uh, a while ago. And then I went to Maiden Form. One of the young ladies that worked at that job I had as the production pattern maker, she then worked at Maiden Form and I got that job at Maiden Form with her because she called me up and uh that that was a nice situation. I didn't have to make bras. It was it was they had a lingerie department and I think again the department closed. So I'm a closer, huh? But anyway <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, I think that what was very interesting about that, all of that, is that I still made clothes like people would request me to make things and stuff like that. Uh I just, you know, after all of those entities, I had made the decision that I I would be in a, a business of my own. And uh, <laughs> I, I went out and I got the, the, the stuff you're supposed to get, kind of, sort of, and made things. And listen, this is way before the Internet. So basically, I was selling at fairs and, you know, uh, events and things like that. You did these little fashion shows here and there, and you sold some things and you were happy. How I survived when I think about it, I I don't know how I stayed alive because that was not a living. <laughs> but I w- I'm still here to tell the tale, and I, I will say that um, it it it's it's very difficult at that time, but. The cost of living was lower, I guess. Now, what young designers have that's so much better is that you have the Internet. You have things like Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. You have mm-hmm. all of these opportunities that make it a um, – make it a. you don't have to go out into the, the market to get a job. You can do whatever you want in the comforts of your own home. You can have a studio. You can blend it with other designers. 
you know, there, there are many roads that lead you to being successful. Yeah, that's very true. And as you mentioned, you know, there wasn't the assistance of the internet back then. So how did you push through, especially the finance piece? Because I know a lot of designers that say when they first start out, financial backing is a major challenge. There was no financial backing. I had savings. I saved up money. I was frugal. Uh, you know, my mother helped me. Uh, I had good credit. I took loans. I, I absolutely am not recommending that. Uh, cause that, that will get you in trouble if you have a terrible plan. I had a terrible plan. So I, I think that for me, I was just really blessed that it wasn't terrible. However, there were some lean times. Uh, there, there were some difficult, there were difficult times because, uh, it, it, there was a point where my mother needed care. And she didn't need 24-hour care, but I needed to take care of her. And she uh, was becoming forgetful, and uh, she couldn't get around as much. She needed help going to the doctor. They, they were just varied things that impacted uh, me financially. And when you don't have, you know, and you deplete your savings to deal with all of that. Thank God she had a pension. So she was able, you know, the rent was paid, her bills were paid. You know, she she could get her medication. She All of those things were fine. But mm -hmm. for me as a business, I couldn't quite function the same way. Or it, it, was, it was a difficult time. It really was. So during the time until she she got sick, I was, Riding my wave to, to, you know, to get, and I'm not going to say that her illness, you know, made the business go down. What happens is, is that if you don't have a plan, and I'm promising you, I am the leader of that pack. I have a, I have one. Um, <laughs> just being honest about it, uh, you know, it it can impact you very in a difficult way. And, you know, I'm here to tell that, that it, it, it was difficult. So at the end of the day, uh, she was, my mother was always really supportive of me. So whatever I was doing, whatever, you know, she, you know, she made her efforts to, you know, definitely be there for me. But, um, I think that when you are, Starting out, you know, you, you definitely have to keep your ethics in order. I tried never to disappoint customers. I tried never to overcharge. I tried, you know, no, none of those uh, things that people do, do things because they're trying to survive. But I tried never to do anything that would hurt my reputation. Um, and I, I just survived, uh, you know, you just made it. You know, I had, I had, um, I, I won't say that I was close to sleeping on the street. I was, <laughs> but uh, if, if I think back, I probably was, you know, but I didn't think about it that way, you know. So it, it was, it was challenging. It was challenging when, when it got challenging, but I never gave up. That's the thing. Never gave up. 
If you had to pick like a top three memorable moments in your career, what would those be? Oh, there's a couple of memorable moments. Uh, I remember uh, working with Ruby D. That period of time of working with her was extraordinary because of how warm and uh, lovely she was, but she also was a big supporter of the arts and artisans uh, being able to, I, I remember one night um, I was there because I was finishing up a fitting or something with her and her daughter was leaving. She said, okay, mom, I'm going to buy. And then they, uh, she said, oh, here, have some dinner, you know, with mom. And I ate dinner with, with, uh, Miss Ruby D. And, um, it was incredible. It, it was just incredible. We had a, a lovely, we always had a lovely time. It, it, it was never not a lovely time. It was always a great time. So when, uh, she had received, she had received many honors and I made a few dresses, but there, there was the Golden Globe that she had received the, um, she was in the movie with Denzel Washington, uh, American Gangster. And so she mm-hmm. got, she, she received that, that award. Well, I was sitting there watching the whole thing all night long. And then they came to a point where, and coming up next, Ruby, you know, they announced me, Ruby D, so-and-so, so, you know, oh, okay, it's finally coming. And, I, I, and um, I was so excited that she won. And she walked across the stage in a dress that I had created. It, it was very exciting. And she looked so beautiful. And so that, that was, that was really, really, and, exciting moment there are many other moments i had uh oh i donated a dress to the museum of the city of new york i was surprised i said oh i'll live forever now but uh i donated this dress to the museum of the city of new york and it was on display uh like three times i think i know two if it but i'm thinking it's three but we, you know it was just like amazing that something I made was on display. Well, then fast forwarding years, this has nothing to do with with my design. I called up the uh, person in charge of the fashion. I said, you know, I have these dresses that my aunt had. Um, my aunt had my uncle had passed away, and then in the closet we found these dresses, and they were designer dresses. And I said, oh, you, if you want them, you know, you're welcome to them. One was a bill. No, one was a Jeffrey Bean. One was a Jeffrey Bean dress. Another one was a another company. Anyway, they accepted it. And that dress was on display. And it just felt, even though I had nothing to do with the design of it or anything like that, it just felt exciting that um, that had happened in, in a fashion capacity, you know. So it it was all... You know, it's all a ride. You know, there are many moments each bride that I've had who was just so excited. I remember one particular bride. I made her dress, and then there was a pillow for the the the, the bring bear that I was mm-hmm. making. 
And so I, uh, well, oh yeah, here's the pillow. And she just cried and, you know, not, she just felt so emotional. And I was, I was really excited that it had that much of an impact that, that it was that important to her. Um, so many, I've had many brides, not necessarily cry, but they were happy. And I, I, I remember I went to one of the weddings, but sometimes I never get any pictures. So, so if they were local, I would try to go to the wedding just so I can get some pictures. And, but this one I went, they didn't know who I was. I was like a can of paint. They didn't know. And the young lady had come in and she said, uh, oh, she's so gorgeous. She just looks so beautiful. And it was exciting to hear, you know, they didn't know that I had made the dress up, but I was so happy that she didn't say anything. Girl, you should see what that dress looks like. Woo! You know, she came in saying something so sweet and lovely about how beautiful she looked. And that was sweet. So there's so many highs. There's so many highs. Well, a high is what makes a great career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they really, it really is. You know, and still it's still happening when i think about what happened with the tony awards was the 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 stylist who called me um i mean i've known him a number of years and you know but when he called and and said he was he he needed to style the, uh lynn nottage for the tony awards and again i'm like did you really mean to call me? I'm thinking in my head. But anyway, we got it done. What was so exciting about that was the how many, um, when she came out on stage, uh, there was a standing ovation that she got. And I was telling somebody else, I said, you know, yeah, that, that was nice that she got a standing ovation. And the friend said, yeah, but she got a standing ovation with the dress you made, you know, she was like, get it straight, you know, you were part of that, you know, and I, I cannot, um, I can't negate it, you know, I can't, I, I have to, to really realize, you know, you're making people's days, you know, she didn't have to struggle with what she was wearing, she looked beautiful, she, uh, it, and so it was an exciting moment, but then I got an email to someone, she made the best dress list, so it it just like I say, there are just so many highs that it, it you know there isn't just one specific moment. There's so many that after when you someone asks you that question, you know you come up with an answer that oh, yeah yeah I remember you know that meal I had with Ruby D. But then they all start flooding in. There there are just so many opportunities. There are things that have happened that you uh, realize that you just made somebody so happy um, by them wearing something so fantastic. Oh, I got so many compliments. Oh, people loved it. Oh, I can't get from here to there without people stopping me. And I, I think that as you're, you know, as you're going along, you know, yeah, you know, you want maybe want to, when you look at, let's say the, uh, the Met Gala and stuff like that. And you, you know, it's exciting that, that designers get to play in that arena. Uh, but you, you gotta treat everything like a, it's a Met Gala. 
know, it's just all got to be treated in that same manner. That it is, it, even if it's a T-shirt and it's got a little flower painted on it, it's got to be like treated like it's like amazing, you know. So, um, again, it's just so many highs. That's that's the best way I could say it. Would you say that you have the same love and passion for designing today as you did when you first started? Yeah, I, I would say that. I would say it's different because I'm older. But mm -hmm. I think that when I was younger, I was more idealistic. I think that the industry looked a particular way. You entered into the industry. You showed X amount of times a year in the showroom and the this and the that. Like it had a, it had specifics to it. It still does. The industry, fashion industry still functions in, in the way that it always has. You, someone designs something, they show those pieces to buyers and buyers buy them for their stores. And that still happens. However, the industry has added seasons and, and, uh, designers now become almost as famous as the wear. It becomes a big deal at the fashion show who sits in the front row, blah, 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 blah. But that doesn't mean that's the only way it functions. And you have, you know, much of that stuff that you see coming down the runway, you know, you're never going to see that in the store because it's specifically made for, you know, that runway show. But what we've come to find out is that designers make money on, you know, belts and perfume and, you know, these licensings that, that they have. And this has made them very healthy and wealthy. But that doesn't mean that's the only way to function. And so now what's exciting is that you can do – I remember I heard Epperson talk about it, and I said that is it in a nutshell. He said, I can do what I want. I don't have to function the way they're telling me that I have to function. Or I don't have to show X amount of seasons, or I don't have to show at a particular time – I can make what I want. I can use the fabrics I want. I can use the colors I want. And that's exactly how I feel. Now, you don't want to be out in left field, but maybe you do. Maybe that's what makes you stand out in the crowd. I um, uh, watch a – there's a YouTube – there's a lot of YouTube stuff I watch. There's a young lady who has this thing called Blueprint Design. And I'm not trying mm -hmm. to plug other people great she does uh oh, what is it called um upcycle that that's her oh yeah that's her, with her. I, I, angelina I uh i forgot what her last name is i think it's angelina but she does now they're actually doing this i think this is either the second year or the third but She's doing something called the best up cycler or something like that. And so people apply yeah, and it's just such a cute idea. But she built this from the ground up. So I, now I wasn't there from the beginning. I found out about blueprint design from something else that she was on. It was during that time where they were sharing the mic. You know, everybody was getting, getting hungry. Let's get some black folks in. She, yeah. So she was on <laughs> this other woman's. Uh, who is Swedish. I, I like the Swedish lady. She's fine. But anyway, she had black YouTubers sewers on, and Angelina was one of them. I said, oh, that's interesting what she's doing. I, uh, I'll follow. 
the people, you know. Anyway, what she does is so interesting. It doesn't matter to her that the industry says this is how you get there. What what I find admirable about her is that she's doing her thing her way when she wants to do it. And she has created a lovely business doing this. I don't know what her financials are, but I know she got a house in Houston. So <laughs> all I'm saying, I don't know what – I know my cousin lives in Houston, so I, mm, it ain't cheap. But that's, that's either here or there. What I think about what she's making, what is – I'm not in her pocket or anything like that. What I find so interesting is that she has created this world in in her world. This is her journey. And that's how I feel with that, like the Epperson, the Cassandra Brumfield, and many of us are creating our own path and journey. And y'all need to catch up with us as opposed to us trying to catch up with the, the fashion world. Um, exactly. I, I, I just hope that, you know, there'll, there'll be more digging. I get why you go to Macy's. Or, you know, any any department store. I get why you go there to get a pair of jeans and, you know, your pair of shoes or, you know, whatever. You know, handmade shoes are very expensive, so I get why ain't nobody calling uh, handmade shoe. But anyway, the point is, is that I get why you go and you need a little cocktail dress. All of those, you know, a cocktail dress that... Fifty nine ninety nine or something like that, as opposed to having something custom to make custom made that begins at eight hundred dollars or something like that, or wherever it begins at, it's just more than what your budget is. Mm-hmm. I get why you do that, and I hope though that people will get into some of the accessory designers if you can't do a whole. You know, address at 400, 200. You know, if you can't do that, that maybe you'll get into some of the accessories that are being offered. Uh, I know somebody who's a designer and he said, he used to do clothing, plus size, uh, women's clothing. He now does bags and he said, um, he said, cause you don't need to be a size to wear a bag. He said, he just, you know, it's a bag. You know, you can carry a pocketbook or any of those. He said that's really kind of why it's still creating. And he's, um, I think SK Wilbur, I don't know if you know who, who that is, but he's, he's doing nicely. He's doing nicely with his, with his journey. And what I'm, what I mean, I hope that people will just open up and even if it, you have to always buy something. Yes, that's supportive, but you know, just thumbs up, watching people's videos, giving, you know, hey, share and check out this person who's doing this thing over here, you know, something worthy to check out. And I look forward to how people are being supportive of businesses of color, independent businesses, small businesses. You know, I look forward to how that support is kind of flowing in, flowing in. You know, the pandemic did a lot of damage in terms of lives. And it also got people really intimate with their own, well, how am I going to do this now? And people got busy. People got mm-hmm. real busy. So it, it, 
it is still, you know, uh, definite. It's definitely a journey. But we can, um, we definitely, the more we support each other, the more we give each other thumbs up and share and all of these things. Interviews like this, this is just such a great opportunity for to talk to people and hear their story and what, what's, what's going on behind Cassandra Brumfield, you know, what's in her, what's, what's her story like and how does she come up with, why does she do, you know, with any of those types of uh, questions that people might have, you know, and then maybe they're more curious, they'll go to my website and they go, oh, she got a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> so it it is um, so exciting that there are people like you who are talking to people like me. Well, I kind of honestly be able to use my platform to share the story because I do agree with you that I love when we support each other uh, when we share information about each other, and that's how we help each other grow and um, continue the legacy in this industry and beyond. Yeah, there actually there is a, so much more to our history as uh, being creative. There, there is mm-hmm. so much more in our history, and even like we we can. You know, pull up the Ann Lowe's and the um, Elizabeth Kelkley, I think I'm saying her name right. Um, mm-hmm. All of the, there are many people who are famous within that, because every time you talk about someone, um, someone black and sewing and, you know, the history of it, those names pop up. But there are other names and people in the industry that we know little and less about that uh like Rosa Parks wasn't necessarily right. she was she was a seamstress, you know. And uh all of but Rosa Parks wasn't alone as a seamstress. There were so many of us that were working in this in this world creating. And when you think about um even going back how we survived, you know that, that that little part of the movie, um, not the movie, the, the book of uh, the color purple, where Celie had a little clothing business. Um, it's true. I mean, people did have um, businesses, and I think that it wasn't just the '60s that we kind of woke up and black power and power. I mean, people were doing things. Even before then, we had businesses, we had land, we had, I mean, we wore clothes, you know, so, and no, we couldn't go into the department store and buy clothes, so we were making clothes, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes we made clothes for a living so that we could put food on the table, blah, 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 blah. But these names of people who we don't know, my grandmother apparently this is the grandmother I didn't know uh, because she died when my mother was uh, five or something like that. The grandmother I did know, she didn't sew. She she was a she could cook like anybody's business though, like many grandmothers from that time period. But anyway, this grandmother, the real the, the biological grandmother, uh, apparently she was the sewer in the family, and that was kind of like a cushy job because. 
you know, you could just sit down and just do your handwork. And it, it wasn't, it, I guess it wasn't hard work, but I think she was sickly or something. There was a reason why she had the job of being the, you know, as opposed to doing the other chores that the other um, people in the family or the other sisters and brothers or whatever had to do in the family. But, you know, there are a lot of unsung names and names of people we don't know that made these fantastic items or developed a business or there's a lot of people out there that did stuff. They, they, but, you know, we, we are short on who those names are. We, we really need, um, we need to pump that up. I need to probably post stuff like that. I'm, I'm talking about who, who, who should do it? I should do it. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, it is definitely, it is, it's definitely something that we are, uh, we have a legacy of really creatives that we come from, you know, from the, the weavers of the kente cloth and kuba cloth and all of that, you know, to uh, what we have now, people who are fiber artists and are, you know, growing their business on art. And uh, so it's a, to me, it's a, it's exciting now because we definitely, yeah, we, there's some roadblocks. I don't, I'm not going to be Pollyanna about it, but we can get around them. We can jump over them. You know, we, you know, you can high jump it. It's difficult sometimes, but for some people, all it means is that you got to, like James Brown did, open up the door. I'll open up the door of my damn self. You know, I'll get through it. Mm-hmm. So, we just have uh we have a lot of work to do, but there's a lot of work that has been done and I'm excited for so many designers like myself, you know, we get to do what we want. And that's it guys. Thanks again for tuning into another episode of Black Fashion History. If you loved what you heard, and I know you did, make sure to subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcasting platforms and on all social media at Black Fashion History Podcast. Don't forget to visit us online at our website, blackfashionhistory.com. And of course, if you don't do any of that stuff, make sure to tune in again next week for another Black Fashion History installment. Bye-bye.